My name is Keith Beavers, and whenever you're considering a self-care regime and you're just having one of those days, I think what we should all do is just stop, take a breath, and reflect and say to ourselves, have we listened to any Luther Vandross today? What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode four of Vine Pairs Wine 101 podcast. I'm Keith Beavers. I'm the tasting instructor of Vine Pair. Yeah, what's going on? Here we are. It's time, guys. We're going to talk about how red wine is made. It's ancient. It's more ancient than ancient. It's more ancient than that ancient. This is going to be so much fun. Red wine, how's it made? Let's start the fundamentals. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Fleur de Mer Rosé. I'm sorry, guys. My French is just bad. Throughout the rolling hills and valleys of Provence, fields of lavender thrive in the warm sun and fresh, crisp seaside air. In French, Fleur de Mer means flower of the sea. Oh, and our wine celebrates the region's famed flowers as well as its historical tradition of crafting incredible rosé wines. Delicious. Each sip of Fleur de Mer Rosé engages the senses with bright fruit notes, crisp acidity, and a cleansing dry finish. It's like poetry, guys. For a taste of true provincial rosé wine, reach for Fleur de Mer Rosé. So, winemaking is like really old, guys. Like really old. And what it really is, is it's nature, which has been around for like ever. And then there's science, which is humans understanding of said nature. And then it's humans interacting with that nature and applying the science to it to better understand it, to make the wine. Whoa, that's really it. Now, it wasn't always that way, obviously. It's all, the science has always been there, but we have not always understood that science. But we as humans have been making wine for like, 7,000 years, all the way back to the Neolithic period. That's the time when we as humans stopped nomading and started planting and raising animals. Like, you guys want to, like, chill out here, stop nomading for a while? Is that cool? Yeah? You want to start planting some stuff? Cool. Hey, what's that, clay? What's clay? And the evidence for this was discovered in 1968 in northwest Iran by an American scientist from Penn State. Just east of Turkey's eastern border... In the Zargos Mountains, there's a valley called the Ghadar Valley, and it's named after a river that runs through it. And that river goes towards the marshes of this huge lake called Lake Ormia. And here in this valley, which is kind of the center of what is called the Levant, which is really the crossroads between Asia and Europe, Mary Vogt from Penn State and her archaeological buds found this old Neolithic village. And in that village, they found clay with traces of tartaric acid which means evidence of winemaking. Mind blown. And I guess the reason I'm bringing all this stuff up is because in the next few episodes, we're going to talk about how different wines are made. And every winemaker has his or her own way of making wine within their category. But none of that would be possible without the fundamental natural science of how wine is made. And I like to start with red wine because it seems to be the red wine is like the most, the closest we get to how it's been made forever. 
And then after that, when we talk about other colors of wine and how wine is made in different ways, we'll kind of build off this sort of fundamental base of knowledge. And even just talking about the red winemaking process, there are so many decisions a winemaker can make to switch it up and change things. So we're going to talk about just the fundamental way, like this is how wine is made. And then in further episodes, we're going to get really, it's going to get really interesting. We're going to see like these decisions and how people can kind of switch it up and make something unique and different. So we've had a harvest. All the best red wine grape bunches are picked, put into plastic bins, and they're on their way to the winery. And it's not just the grapes that are on their way to the winery. It's everything that lives on the grapes. There are different bacterias in vineyards. There are all different kinds of what yeast species, which we'll get into. There are fruit flies carrying those yeast species to the winery. So this is just nature coming into a winemaking facility and saying, yo, try to make me into wine. Winemaker's like, cool. The first thing that has to happen is you got to get the grapes off the stems. You got to separate the grapes from the grape bunch, right? It's called destemming. And there is a machine called a destemmer. And there's all different kinds of destemmer machines, but basically what it is is a trough. Grapes go into the trough, and that trough has a corkscrew in the middle of it, and it slowly moves, spirals, and as it does, it gently grabs the grapes and takes them off the stem. It's pretty wild to see. I don't understand it, but it's awesome. I mean, it's just like this corkscrew with just somehow takes the grapes, whatever. It's just, it's amazing to watch if you ever get a chance. Now that the berries have been liberated from their bunch, it's now time to sort the berries and pick out all the bad ones. So the, ber- the berries, the wine grapes. So the wine grapes or berries now go to a sorting table, which is a conveyor belt that vibrates. And on each side are humans that pick through and find all the bad grapes and throw them away or do whatever they want, whatever they do with them. So now we've got the best berries of the bunch. And it's time to crush these grapes so we can start making it into wine. So from the destemmer, these grapes go into a crusher. And again, there's different kinds of crushers, but they just smash the grapes and everything dumps into a big vat. We're talking the skins, the flesh, the juice, the seeds, maybe some stems, just everything. And then everything that lives on these grapes just goes into this big vat. It's a big, dark pulpy, viscous mass. And that is what's called the must, M-U-S-T. And this mass of organic awesome is like the intermediate between juice and wine. And among all this pulp and organic stuff in the must, there's also the natural sugar from the grapes. There is a single-celled organism called Yeast. I'm sure you've heard of it. And there is a species of yeast called Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Whoa, that's intense, but it's easy to understand because it's Latinized Greek for saccharon, which means sugar, and myces, which means fungus. So it's the sugar, fungus, and cerevisiae is Latin for beer. So it's Saccharomyces cerevisiae, meaning the sugar fungus. For beer. And it's the it's the yeast that is used to make beer. It's also the yeast that is used in baking, and it's also the yeast that's used here in winemaking. And this little yeast cell is entered into the must. 
Now, I've been talking about how nature is all over the place here, right? Well, there are other yeast species that are already in the must that came in from the vineyard. Fruit flies often bring in a species of yeast called Britannomyces. But winemakers don't want to use this yeast because it's not as reliable as the Saccharomyces cerevisiae. And they don't really want it around so much. So what they do is they shock the must with a little bit of sulfur dioxide. Okay, we all just, so don't freak out. Sulfur dioxide, sulfites, we got to do, a, at some point we're going to do a whole episode about sulfites in wine, but sulfur dioxide, SO2, is extremely important in the wine making process. If it's not added, weird yeast cells and other bacteria like Britannomyces can kind of take over and, 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 and create different kinds of acids that really have off aromas in the resulting wine. And what sulfur dioxide does, it does a bunch of really great things for wine. It retains color, but it also retains the health of a wine. Because as we start getting into the fermentation process, the sulfur dioxide is going to kill off all the volatile bacteria and help block the Britannomyces yeast from taking over what the Saccharomyces is doing. So the must has been inoculated with the yeast and some sulfur dioxide. Now what we do is we take this must, this giant mass of stuff, and we put it into a big vat, and we deprive that vat of oxygen. And this, wine lovers, this right here, guys, this is where wine is being made. I'm a little excited. I hope you guys are too. I do get a little overexcited about this stuff. It's just the idea of this nature doing this thing. Is, okay, so now we've entered into the fermentation process. We've destemmed, we've crushed, we've added yeast and sulfur dioxide. We now are putting it into a big vat. This is called fermentation. What happens here is as these yeast cells are deprived of oxygen, they start to eat the natural sugars in the grapes and they turn that sugar into two things, ethanol and carbon dioxide, otherwise known as alcohol and a bunch of bubbles. And as these yeast cells start eating the sugar and converting it into carbon dioxide and alcohol, the environment of this fermentation vat starts to warm up. And as the fermentation vat starts to warm up, all the organic material starts to move around. And as all the organic material starts to move around, it kind of starts, the, the carbon dioxide starts lifting everything to the top. And while that's happening, alcohol is being produced. And the more alcohol that is produced, the harder it is for the yeast to do its job. And when the alcohol gets to about 10 or 11%, the Britannomyces dies. But you know who doesn't die? Saccharomyces cerevisiae just keeps on going, man, just keeps on going. And all that organic material at the top, humans have to get involved a little bit here. So what we do is we go over and we punch down all that organic junk back into the big old vat. Because what's happening here is as the alcohol is being created. And as the carbon dioxide is being created, that heat, that warmth inside that environment is leaching pigments called anthocyanin from the skins of the grapes into the juice. And we've just created red wine. And that leaching is called maceration. For what, So while fermentation is happening, maceration is happening. And as the alcohol level rises even more and the carbon dioxide rises even more, it's harder and harder for our little Saccharomyces cerevisiae to live and do its job. And when the alcohol gets to about 15 or 16 percent, they die. They've done their job. Thank you, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, because now you're no longer a yeast. Now you are what the French call a lee, L-E-E, -E, dead yeast cells. So everything just kind of rises to the top. And this awesome natural process can last up to three weeks, and we have wine. But what we have 
is wine in a bunch of organic junk. So now we have to separate the wine from the organic junk. And just, you know, a little side note here. It's really good the Britannomyces didn't really last because if Britannomyces gets its way, the resulting wine will have a funky smell to it, like Band-Aids or over-roasted coffee beans or an aroma that's known as mousy. Now, if there's a little bit in there, it's not going to be a big deal. But if, th- if it gets out of hand, whoo, <laughs> really mess up a wine. So this once mass of organic stuff called must is now wine with a bunch of pulp in it. So what winemakers will do next is they try to, they, they, they press the juice off the skins. And usually they put it into something called a pneumatic press, which has a big balloon in it. And it slowly expands and gently presses out the juice that just kind of falls freely from that mass. It's called the free run juice. And often winemakers like to preserve that free run juice for their best wines. Then they'll press however many more times they need to, to get the right amount of wine from that organic material. And that was once called must. It's now called Pomace, P-O-M-A-C-E. And after they get as much wine as they need off of the skins, that pomace is then returned to the vineyard as compost. Sometimes the pomace is made into products. Sometimes it's distilled into brandy. All different kinds of things happen with pomace, but we've made wine. And this new wine is like, so before it was Minute Maid Extreme Pulp. Now it's Minute Maid Some Pulp. There's still going to be some organic stuff in this new wine. So the next step is to get that out of there. And what they do is something called racking. They'll put the wine in a vat and they'll let it sit there and all the organic stuff will kind of fall to the bottom. Then they'll siphon that into another barrel and they keep on doing this until the wine is clear or clarified. And here's where something really cool and just natural starts happening in a wine. We're going to talk a lot about this in the next episode with white wine, but something called malolactic conversion begins where all the harsher acids, acids in the wine are converted to softer lactic acids. It's really cool. It's very prominent in white wine, so we'll get to that. For a wine that's going to be aged for a while, it goes into a barrel. Wines that are consumed young often go into stainless steel tanks. And at this point here, the wine is pretty clear, but there's always going to be something left in the wine around this point. So sometimes winemakers will find the wine. They'll enter an enzyme into the wine, which will then start attracting organic material, which will gain weight and fall to the bottom, further clarifying the wine. If a blend is being made, often this is the, the, the point where the winemaker takes different samples from different barrels and goes into a lab and starts blending and making a red wine blend. And usually here, there's one more opportunity to clarify the wine through something called filtration, which looks like a, well, it almost looks like a radiator in, in like a New York apartment. And it has little holes in it and it runs through and just cleans the wine even more. This is just to make the wine look nice and polished. There are great wines out there, red wines, that are not fined, not filtered. And it just depends on the winemaker's goal. I mean, wine's crazy, right guys? You're at the mercy of nature in the vineyard. You're at the mercy of nature when it's being made. You know, if you... if you allow too much oxygen to be exposed to a wine throughout the winemaking process, the end result is a wine that could taste like vinegar. That's something that's freaky. Or if the Britannomyces takes over, it can be really funky and nasty. Then you have to change your barrels because once Britannomyces gets into barrels, you can't get it out. That's nuts. But let's say none of that happens and all that hard work is just, wow, we got this great wine. This is so awesome. 
The next step is to bottle this wine. And when you bottle a wine, once you're bo- once it's bottled, you either put it out in the market or you lay it down to age for a few more years, then you release it. But if you close that wine bottle with a cork, you run the risk of having a corked wine after all that work. And what corked wine is, is there are nooks and crannies in a porous cork, right? And it's believed that in the, there are little deposits in there called chlorophenols. And once that cork is plunged into that bottle, there's always a little air pocket between the cork and the wine. And it's thought that sometimes that chlorophenol comes into contact with, with whatever's floating in that little air pocket and creates this thing called 246-trichlorinisol, otherwise known as TCA, otherwise known as cork taint. It drops into to the wine and deprives your senses from smelling anything the winemaker wanted you to smell. So instead of smelling bright berry fruit asparagus and all the craziness, you smell wet cardboard or wet basement. And that is one of the reasons why we have screw caps. So the wine is bottled, it's either aged or put on the market, slap a label on it, and that's red wine, guys. I mean, every wine is bottled. And every wine is every wine grape is picked. But from the vineyard to the bottling process, other wine hues, if you will, have little different things going on. So next week, we're gonna get real nice with white wine. We're gonna understand the differences of how it's made versus red wine. And then we're gonna kind of dip our toes into this new hue everyone's talking about, orange wine. It's it's crazy, it's gonna be fun, you'll understand it when it's done. So if you're digging what I'm doing, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, subscribe, rate, tell a friend. Hey, if you wanna write a review, write a review. Everything helps get this wine podcast out there. Check me out on Instagram, it's at Keith. I do all my stuff in stories. And also, you got to follow VinePair on Instagram, which is at VinePair. And don't forget to listen to the VinePair podcast, which is hosted by Erica, Adam, and Zach. It's a great deep dive into drinks culture every week. Now for some credits. How about that? Wine 101 is recorded and produced by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the VinePair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mellon. I also want to thank Daniel Grinberg for making the most legit Wine 101 logo. And I got to thank Darby Seaside for making this amazing song. I mean, listen to this epic stuff. And finally, I want to thank the Vine Pear staff for helping me learn more every day. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Fleur de Mer Rosé. Throughout the rolling hills and valleys of Provence, fields of lavender thrive in the warm sun and fresh, crisp seaside air. In French, fleur de mer means flower of the sea, and our wine celebrates the region's famed flowers as well as this historical tradition of crafting incredible rosé wines. Each sip of fleur de mer rosé engages the senses with bright fruit notes, crisp acidity, and a cleansing dry finish. For a taste of true provincial rosé wine, reach for fleur de mer rosé. 